Welcome to Soul Food, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. All right. Well, we're in Psalms chapter 29. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to come and worship you and to praise you this morning and pray that as we open up your word that it would continue in that heart of glorifying you that you would be enthroned as king of our lives in Jesus name amen all right psalms 29 is an enthronement psalm so these songs really speak to what this is speaking about. On the surface of it, when you read it, what you're going to see is a lot of people perceive it as David sees this great storm coming into the city and he just starts glorifying God, right? That's your surface read. But there's a lot of history to this psalm. Actually, this is believed to be the oldest psalm in the Psalms. Um, it dates back to a um, uh, Rashmir text that is actually enthroning Bel Hadad, and he is fighting the mythical waters of, of chaos. And David has taken the Psalm and reclaimed it to enthrone. Yahweh. And so that's the the psalm was actually found in this text in the 1900s, early 1900s. And we didn't know that and it dates back at least 300 years before David even existed. But the difference is that he adds the last verse. And you're going to see why that's really important um, as we get into it. So as we think about that, this modification um, is really important. And so it became used in some of the worship ceremonies, specifically the Septuagint notes that it's used in Leviticus uh, 23, tying it to the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the fall feast that we're about to have in September 29th. Um, and the Sohar uh, ties it to specifically to be read during the pouring of the water, which we see in John chapter 7. Jesus himself says, let anyone who thirsts come to me. And so he is establishing himself as this king that is to be enthroned. Now, having said that, also the Talmud and in, in, uh, Sofirm uh, 18 prescribes that it's used during the day of Pentecost. Um, and so both of these are, are ending feasts that finish up the idea of we're enthroning God and we're, we're coming before him. Tonight, and since we're mentioning the feasts, tonight begins the Day of Atonement at sundown tonight, which is the only feast in the Old Testament 
that it's the only time that it is commanded to fast for a day and to repent and come before the Lord in in humility. And so there's there's going to be a lot of people fasting tomorrow or tonight and tomorrow. Um, if you want to join in to that, that's not a command for us as Gentiles and as as believers, but it's something that we should be conscious of because those are our pictures of things to come, which was Christ. And so we have that, that similar thing. We need to have that heart of repentance. Having said all of that, um, this psalm has, has three different sections in it. The first part is a call to the Lord. Uh, the second part is a conversation about the voice of the Lord. And finally, the actions of the Lord, which is the final verses that, that David adds. And I think we need to understand that this is it's not an unusual thing. David tends to take ideas from a culture and reclaim them for their rightful worship. And that's something we need to do as we see things being taught incorrectly about other things, we need to reclaim it for Christ because that's our call, is to glorify God. They had a wrong understanding of what had happened, and David is re-establishing God's authority here. Having said all that, let's just jump into it. This is a Psalm of David um, that he has edited to talk about Yahweh. Uh, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty, ascribe to the Lord, glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and worship the Lord in holy array. Now, this idea of ascribing to the Lord has to do with acknowledging and imparting honor to God. And and that's basically what we've been doing this whole morning. Um, But it's also an idea of yielding our own strength our own thoughts of self-glorification to the Lord. We are to impart and submit to him fully all of our strength, all that we have. And, And that's what's going on. And it's a repeated thing here. He says it three times, that we are to submit to God, that we are to give to God his glory due. Interesting, in Psalms uh, 96, we'll see later, as we get to it, that the same language is a call to the nations to worship. But here it's a little different. Here, he says, ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Now, this is a really unique statement because each of you, if you're reading from different translations, some of them will say sons of God, some of them will say heavenly beings, some of them will say sons of ram, and later on in, in Psalms 97, the word is literally translated gods in the plural sense. So the idea here is he is calling all these other deities in the world to submit to Yahweh because he is the true God and all the other entities that are there. And we see the same thing going on in um, Job where Job chapter one, what happens? The angels come and they, they stand before God and he says, hey, what have you guys been doing? And Satan comes too. 
And he says, what have you been doing? I've been wandering the earth. He says, have you considered Job? These are the people, the beings that he's talking about here. And, and very specifically, he is calling those entities to submit to God because he is the only deity above all others. Now, having said that, we see the same picture in Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, where these living creatures come up and they say, they they claim, holy is the Lord. And you see this, this congregation falling before him and submitting to him. And so that's the picture that, that we're supposed to get from this, this, this whole image of the elders glorifying God in heaven. Now, whatever the reference, and some people just think this is, this is sons of God, and rightly so, because later on in Galatians, it says we are sons of God. Specifically, 3.26 says we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we all have this identity as well as the angels and humanity. And so we can take this and impart it to ourselves. We are being called just like the heavenly angels are called worship God. We are called to worship God. And we see the same thing uh, as, as we go in. He says, how are we to worship? He says specifically to worship the Lord in a holy array. You know, in Exodus, we have the, the setting aside of these priests, and they're supposed to put on specific clothing. And it says specifically in uh, Exodus 28 too, that this clothing is for glory and beauty. That that is what they're supposed to display as worshipers of God. And we see a similar thing happening in Ephesians 4.24, where he says, put on the new self, in, which is in likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. It's the same call. We are supposed to be in holy array for those around us to see the glory of God, just as these angels were to do. Now, Colossians says the same thing. Having put on the new self, who is being renewed to true knowledge and according to the image of the one who created him. In other words, if you are a worshiper of God, you are to be an imager of his glory. And we saw that with... uh, Moses, what happened when he had his interaction with God? He literally glowed. And and Hebrews goes back and says, hey, this, this is just a physical glowing. How much more should your glory be now that you've seen Jesus? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we emanating the presence of God in our lives? Why did they do this? Why were they to do it? Because of the voice of the Lord. Verse 3 says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. This is reminiscent of of the creation where we had the, the Spirit hovering over what it says, the waters. And 
What happens? God speaks. And there's creation. There's life. Same thing at the flood. And interesting, these waters are specifically references to the flood. Every time he, he mentions this, it's Mabal, which is um, specifically the waters of chaos. And, and if you go back to Genesis, that word is only used from Genesis 6 to Genesis 11. And then here. And it always speaks of the flood. Who is the Lord? He is the God that thunders at the flood. That brings judgment on a rebellious community. And that is, a, that is an issue that we need to come to grips with. He is a righteous, holy God that thunders. What does he do with the waters now? We see in John, what was the thing that happened with, with the disciples? They're in this chaotic boat ride across the, the water, and they're like, we're going to die! And they wake up Jesus, and he calms the sea. And they say, who is this that has power over the chaotic water? And so that's the reference that, that these disciples are seeing. This is the, the person, the, the God that we worship that has total control over everything. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. These were ancient trees that were known for this just huge, majestic, glorified trees. And everybody wanted to build with these trees. But we see in Isaiah uh, chapter 2 that he uses those trees to reference pride. And he says, so the, the concept we're getting here is that the Lord destroys these glorified things. These things that have, have grown up into this huge overarching entities. But he breaks them. He destroys their pride. And that's what the voice of the Lord does for us. He breaks our pride. And he calls us to submission. Interesting. Uh, verse 6. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. And Siron like a young wild ox. This is uh, the Phoenician word Siron is Mount Hermon, where is supposedly this mythical battle happened, or there, where the fall of the angels happened, and they decided to take for themselves uh, uh, this rebellion. And, and there's this whole mythical thing going on. But both locations are outside of Jerusalem. And so we see this this image of God working not just in the Holy Land but outside of Jerusalem to call to submission and and it's interesting going back to this whole mythological idea how many many of you are reading from King James the word isn't ox right it isn't young wild ox it's unicorn which is to us a, a mythical creature Right? So we see this whole mythical idea of the, the waters of chaos. The voice of the Lord hews out flame. I, this, this verse 7 really caught my attention. Um, it, it 
sparked my imagination. Um, <laughs> uh, while it's probably referring to lightning, the idea of him cutting flame, hewing it out for, for his purposes, um, it's just this powerful image that I... You know, we don't think about that. We think about flames, you know, that they're hard to control just to get them to, to burn where we want. And we've seen the chaos in, uh, in uh, Malibu and all this, all this uh, Hawaii and, and all that stuff that went on. We can't control it. There's just chaos in the flames. But God is a God, not only that controls the waters, but hews out the flame. And and in uh, we see that as he hews this out, um, Thessalonians talks about that it's it's in judgment, the flames of fire taking uh, taking vengeance on those who don't know God, on those who don't obey the gospel of the Lord. But we also see in Exodus the flame, you know, the, the whole mountain when he gave imparted the uh, the law. The it says the mountain was a flame. You know, so the presence of God it it, it carries this image of the Shekinah glory, this this flaming power. But also in Second Thess or in in uh, Acts, what happened? With the flame, there is the Pentecost, which we talked about how this ties to Pentecost. It was God separated tongues of fire over each of the disciples, and that empowered them to speak in new languages, to speak and proclaim the gospel to people that had never heard it. There is a part of the flame of the Spirit that God God is imparting and hewing out your portion of himself and imparting that to you. So the imagery here is just rich. The voice of the Lord shakes. Oh, wait, back up. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says the voice of the Lord is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit. He is dividing the difference between our soul and our spirit. He is imparting a new spirit on your life. And all this image just brings us to glorify him. And if it doesn't, you've missed it. (laughs) That's the whole point, right? The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. It shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Now there's uh, uh, Kadesh's in the southern border. There's Kadesh uh, uh, Barnea, um, which is in the Negev, which is southern. But there's also a uh, eastern part of Lebanon called the Desert of Kadesh. And so there's some question on which one. It's probably more of the eastern because this is this would tie it back to Syria. Um, but these uh, mountains. Are, are the image of, of God shaking everything in the desert. And you ever thought about what happens when, when we take sand and we just shake it, right? 
you, you think about people that are, are um, sifting for, for gold, and they shake up, and where does the gold end up? At the bottom, because it's the heaviest. What happens when God shakes the land? He brings all the things that are fluffy and junk to the top, and he can remove all that, and that with, with weight remains. And I think about that's what God is doing. He is shaking out this world. And he is only going to leave what remains with its sustenance. The voice of the Lord makes the deer calf and strips the forest bare. His temple and everything says glory. Interesting, the the idea of, of... a storm like this, we know, you know that the barometric pressure drops at storms, and you can many of the animals calf, and it brings on labor. But the word here is is a an interesting word that has has the potential for two different meanings. One is that the deer calf; the other is that the oaks are twisted. So we get this, this similar image of, of the trees of Lebanon and the oaks are, are destroyed. And we think of oak being a hard wood, right? So you get this twisting of, of that and destroying that, but also bringing on life, being both being appropriate for the context. Um, but here, this is the seventh time in the in the in this this. Um, psalm that he talks about the voice of the Lord being described in thunder. And some have tied this to uh, Revelation 7, that that there's this special um, secret prophecy that John that's never written down. I I don't know about that, but I thought I'd throw it out for informational. Um, But the voice of the Lord is impacting every aspect. And we see this glory being ascribed to the Lord throughout all the heavens and the earth. And same imagery that we see in Revelation chapter 5, where everything is bowing down to the Lord. Everything is called above the earth, under the earth, in the earth, to bow to the Lord. And that's what we're looking forward to, is everything in submission to the Lord, enthroning him. The voice of the Lord, in essence, impacts every point of life. And when you experience his voice, you're left in the same thing here. Everything in the temple says glory. What else can you say? There's nothing else. Once you understand and really realize what God has done, you should be in awe and glorify him. Interesting, Hebrews says, the God who in various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory 
the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven, having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Glory. What happens then? Verse 10, the Lord sat as the king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. Having heard the voice of the Lord, having displayed his authority at the flood, he's unchanging still. He's king forever. Seated as a a ruler, as the bringer of the flood waters. You know, for a culture that is all about farming, the floods were really important. Now, this is a reference to the, the great flood in Genesis, but it's also a reference to the Lord who sits to bring the flood to you, the rains to end your drought cause growth and bring life to bring this season of peace and blessing to your life to conquer the waters of chaos that are all around us that's who God is what is this word mabal the chaos it's only used once here in, in the Psalms. And he sits during that flood, conquering all, yet at the same time bringing through those who were righteous, guarding them, protecting them in the midst of that flood, that a remnant would survive so that he could bring redemption to the world. There's so much happening here. But he sits during and after. David adds this last verse. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. What does that mean to you today? For David, when he saw all this imagery and who God really was, the world saw this destructive situation of the flood. And it skewed the idea and the image of who God is. And David is calling the world back to understand the real heart of the Lord. He is one who gives strength. He is one who blesses with peace. It's the same voice that subdues the heavenly realms, that thunders over the waters and breaks the cedars, shakes the wilderness and hews out the flame. That's the voice that calls to you. The same voice that gently pulls us to him. The voice of power 
that is a still small voice for us. It's the voice that gives us strength when we're insecure, that blesses us with peace that is beyond all understanding. Leading us through those waters of chaos to Sabbath rest, to shalom, our peace in his heart, in our relationship with him. We're no longer in conflict We're no longer those that are sons of rams that are kicking against the goats, that are fighting what he is doing. We are those who are glorifying and enthroning him. And that's who we're called to be. What happened for Noah? He obeyed God. He built the ark. He was brought through those chaotic waters. And then he was given this covenant of the rainbow to bring peace to the land. I will never destroy the earth this way again. There's peace now. When Jesus is traveling with his disciples and there were times of chaotic storms, what does he say? Sometimes he got up and he calmed the storm. Sometimes he was up on the hill watching them struggle and he let them struggle. But he was there through all of it. He was Lord at the storm and after the storm. Sometimes we forget when things are not going so so chaotically. We get passive and complacent and we forget that's the God that we worship he's in control and we need to glorify him when things are at peace but just the same when it's chaotic he is still the Lord and he is in control and he is the God over the storm And for you, that means something special. If you have glorified him and you have asked that he come into your life and calm the waters of chaos, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all this and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. What's so important about this? That it's bringing them to remembrance the flood. It's bringing the history back into reality. And that's what the Spirit needs to, is doing for us. He brings us into the reality of what he's done so we can entrust ourselves to him for what he's going to do and what he's doing now. He says, he'll bring you to remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And if you don't have that peace today, if it isn't imparted to you, you need to ask the Lord for it. Because he's promised it here. 
He will send the Holy Spirit upon you to dwell within you, to abide beside you, and fill your life with peace. And if you don't have that, I challenge you today, seek the Lord. Enthrone him on your your life and enter into that joy. What is the kingdom of God? It is righteousness. It is peace. And it is joy in the Holy Spirit. It is our prayer today that everyone in this building has that peace, has that imparted joy through all the chaos that you face. Because this world is still in a little bit of chaos. But he is enthroned during that, over the waters of chaos. And he is bringing new life. And that is something you need to experience today, not just in the future. Yes, we look forward to his final coming. But the kingdom is now. It is in you. And that's what we would experience is the present reign of God. Father, we thank you that you reign supreme. You are over everything. And you impart peace. And we pray for your peace to come upon everyone here. That your spirit would indwell us. That it would bring us rest and joy despite all that's going on. We want to enter into your joy today. In Jesus' name, amen.